One day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Would you stand with me this morning? We continue, or rather, we pick back up on our series on the Sermon of the Mount. This is going to take us through the course of this summer and leading us into the fall. And right now, we are at the opening of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus gives us the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are the attitude and the character of those who follow the king and his kingdom. It's the kingdom that is revealed by how we live, by how we speak, and by how we move. Um, Before we dive into the text today, I just want to give one uh, more brief announcement. This coming Wednesday is our final... um, deeper for the spring session, and it's on the defense of faith. And so this coming Wednesday night, we're going to be looking at specifically how science and religion, what that kind of looks like, where they engage. Um, We're going to be tackling some really great quotes. There's going to be even some video in that. Um, If you've ever been like, hey, I feel like my faith maybe been challenged in regards to this, this is the perfect one for you as we're looking at um, a defense of faith and where... um, where Christ and essentially science kind of the Bible meets head to head. And so I'm really excited to teach it and hope that you have an opportunity to uh, join us for that. And it'll be this Wednesday starting at 6.30. So before we dive into the text, I want to encourage all of us as I pray this morning, would you pray along with me and specifically ask God this, Lord, I want to leave this room today hungry and thirsty for more of you. I want to leave with my heart touched so that I have a desire to know you and reveal you to the world that's around me. And so would you join me in praying for that? Father, we come before you. Lord, we are so thankful for your word. It's living, it's true, it's powerful. It changes hearts and lives. And Lord, I pray that as we dive into it this morning that we would be people who have a hunger for more of you. And that in doing so, Lord, that our lives would be shaped and molded to reflect Jesus to every person we come across. We give you thanks. We give you praise in your name. Amen. Amen. Before you grab a seat, if you'll turn to someone nearby you and let them know, if you could only eat one more side dish, not main course, side dish, just for the rest of your life, what is the best one that needs to be kept and why? Three, two, one, go. Some some insane person first service said tossed salad. So I, <laughs> like, what is that? <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. There, I know there are salad lovers in the room. It's okay. That's what we have the altar for. You can repent later. Um, 
<laughs> um, <laughs> I want to start this morning by talking about inner and outer realities, inner and outer realities. What we find really interesting as we're diving into the Beatitudes is um, as Jesus is teaching these, he's doing something and he's showing us that the kingdom is very countercultural to what we experience. And we've noticed this, you know, um, a few weeks ago we looked at blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn. And today we're going to be looking at... um, specifically the meek or the humble, and then those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you haven't had a chance to pick up one of these, feel free to do so today. Um, It has the Beatitudes there on the tables in the back from four different translations, um, the NKJV, the NLT, the Message, and the Amplified Bible. And then what we're finding is this, and I want you to, to follow along with me, is that the first four, in a very interesting way, they are uniquely addressing our inner reality, okay? They're addressing what, what we are and who we are at the heart level. It's talking about, like, you know, blessed are those who um, are poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those, what Jesus is saying, who understand their absolute need for a Savior and who mourn the fact that they realize how sinful that they have been and how desperate they are for a king who can come and ransom them. Okay, so today as we're diving in even again, what we find is blessed are the meek and the humble and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What Jesus is essentially showing us through these Beatitudes, the first four he's saying, listen, we need to get our inner reality right if we're going to get our outer reality right. That how we live and how we move and how we act and how we engage and how we interact with others, it stems from a true change at the heart level. Because how many of you have ever been like, someone's been kind to you, but you know that they weren't really like, like, it was kind of like that little like fake face, like going all the way back to like whenever you'd get in trouble and your mom would be like, all right, now siblings, shake hands and hug and tell each other everything's fine. And you're like, I love you. There was no real love in that moment, right? It was was a forced action because it wasn't coming from the heart reality in that moment. Jesus is revealing to us we need to get the inner reality right if we're going to then display it to the world. So the last four, blessed are the merciful, blessed are those who are pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers. When we get the inner correct, we then, oh, my watch is yelling at me, then we can reveal God to those who are around us, okay? As the gospel grows in us inwardly, it then will naturally be expressed in us outwardly. True and lasting change has to come from a change in our inner heart. It cannot be religious checklist, do list things. God is not interested in your like, I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and I did this, and so I'm a good person. I got my seven checks this week. God is not after your duty. He is after your delight. He wants you to love him and serve him with the very core of your being. True and lasting change. It has to come from a change in our inner reality and our heart, which brings us to this beatitude. Blessed are the meek and humble. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. If we're going to understand this, we first have to understand the upside-down kingdom. We talked about this um, two weeks ago. And this is what we found. It said that these truths that Jesus is revealing in the Beatitudes, every one of them, 
That was incredible. <laughs> These truths, what we find here is this. They go against everything that we have believed, everything we have lived in, everything we have valued, everything we have been taught. These beatitudes, it's almost counterculture to them. The kingdom from our Western mindset feels upside down. In fact, what Jesus is revealing here, it doesn't even feel like it makes sense. We're like, blessed are the meek? Our culture would look at that and go, mm, I don't think so. Those are the people that get trampled on. Blessed are the humble? I, I don't think so. Like they, they don't see the benefit that is in that. These values that Jesus is teaching go against everything we have believed in, everything we've lived in, everything we've been taught by our culture and our society, yet they are the values of heaven. Therefore, it shouldn't shock us to find that the values and culture of heaven would be vastly different and even feel the opposite of our own. The kingdom of heaven will feel countercultural. In fact, what we see today is this, is that this specific values that we're looking at, they are an attack on our ideological framework here in our Western society. As Western, we find this. Some of the greatest values and emphasis that we place upon is on the individual and our wants and our rights. It's massive in our culture. This is what our culture has preached to us since we were absolutely young. That desires and wants and rights are inherently linked to your identity and to your personhood. And it says it sounds something like this. Follow your heart. Do what's best for you. If you've got it, flaunt it. Pursue whatever you want. Whatever makes you happy, you should go for. Or things like this. If you want to really know who you are, you need to just look inwardly and find it. Can I just tell you something? Listen to me. <laughs> what good really has come from us following our heart? Can I tell you something? When Josh Johnson truly follows his heart, and the Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, who can understand it? Listen, if I truly followed it 24-7, we would all be in a world of trouble. <laughs> if you followed your heart while traveling down I-69 and someone cuts you off, you could be in jail. Right? <laughs> You're like, uh, I always said I, I could not have missiles attached to my car. I would be a mass murderer. Um, it's an attack on our ideological framework. In our day and time, to speak against someone's desire is to attack their personhood, which is astounding. Because what we have done is we have linked what I want with what I am. And that our culture has done. We see this going on in society. We see it in politics. We see it across social media. How dare you not agree with me or how dare you speak against a desire or longing that I have. In fact, not only if you don't speak against it, if you don't affirm it, agree with it, and completely get on board with me, then you hate me. And that's like insane. Never before in the time has that been the case, but in our day and time because of our culture, it sounds again things like this. Follow your heart, get yours. You deserve that. If it makes you happy, then do it. Or the king in our culture, we need to just find ourselves. The Beatitudes, on the other hand, are polar opposite to our culture. Listen to what D.A. Carson has to say. 
To the extent that meekness is practiced among us, to that extent we may be sure a crassly materialistic world will oppose it. Materialism argues grab what you can, the strong man comes first and the devil take the hindmost. Each man tends to assume without thinking that he is at the center of the universe. And therefore, he relates poorly to the four billion others. There's a big issue whenever we get this wrong and we think we are the center of the universe. How many of you, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but many of you, (laughs) as soon as I say that, you're like, I know someone like that. (laughs) They think the world revolves around them, but if we're being honest, all of us think that. There's times where we think that like the world just revolves around us. And I want you to see, when Jesus says, blessed are the meek and the humble, he is challenging, he is coming into opposition with this mindset. He is opposing the thinking of the world revolves around me. If my focus, if my mindset, if my thinking is on my will, my rights, my comfort, my pleasure, my desires, my opportunities, my wants. I will see myself and everything about my life from the perspective of how does this affect me, okay? And in doing so, something really interesting happens. The result is I will use, abuse, and manipulate others to do what suits me. I want you to catch this. The mindset of our culture has trained us The world revolves around me. I need to do what I can to get what I want. And in doing so, listen to me, you become a tool. You're someone that I can use, abuse, trick, manipulate to get what I want. And in doing so, I've actually diminished and devalued your humanity because you are not as important as me, and I will do whatever I can to get what I want. And that means anything I need from you, I will treat you in such a way to get what I want. Does that not sound like our culture? We see this take place all the time. We see it in schools. We see it with bullying. We see it with what's happening in social media. It's the fact of this concept of the world revolves around me, and in doing so, I'm going to use, abuse, and manipulate others to do what suits me. Listen, when we become identified with our desires, the extreme ends are one of the following. The tantrum of a toddler or the abject wickedness of Harvey Weinstein. It's one or the other. It's the absolute fit to get my will and my way, and I will say and do anything. I'll throw myself on the floor, kick, scream, until you do what I want. Or it's to use all my wealth, all my money, all my power to fulfill my urges and desires at the expense of your pain. It's one or the other. Second thing it is, meekness and humility is a key opposite (laughs) to something else that our society relentlessly believes in, and that is the pursuit of more. See, it sounds something like this, that things, activities, people, possessions, and pleasure, our culture has bought into that these are the places that we will find soul fulfillment. And since I don't have it, 
since I don't have soul fulfillment, the answer is I must need more. If I just had bloop, fill in the blank, I'd be happy. Right? How many times have we told ourselves that? If I just had that fill in the blank, if it's the nicer car, the bigger house, the better job, the next promotion, if I had what they had, if I had the relationship that they had, if I had the things that they had, if I had, then I would be happy. I don't have it now, but if I could get that, then I would truly be happy. But how does that work for us? The answer is, is it doesn't. It works terribly because the second we get it, we find not only does it not fulfill, it now becomes almost like a crushing weight on us because the God, lowercase g, we propped up that we thought would fulfill us didn't. And we feel the weight of that. It turns into comparison, competition, jealousy, envy, lust, and longing. It's a relentless, constant, and deeply exhausting pursuit to have more. And our culture goes, listen, if you would just be happy if you had more. If you could just have that thing, I promise you, that's what every commercial is. <laughs> You've never ate this potato chip. <laughs> but if you have, your life would be changed. No, the potato chip is not gonna change your life. <laughs> right? But we do that. We, we don't even... It, 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 pulls from us. Let me give you an example of this. Um, this in my hands is the iPhone 4. iPhone 4. If you were to come and hold this in your hands, um, the screen itself is probably 3.25 inches. Okay? This was a modern marvel of technology when it first came out. You can now buy this on eBay for like $6.25. <laughs> okay, this right here, this device was seen as like a technological advancement of its time, so much so that people in New York City, they camped out on the streets for days in tents, living in every kind of manner of condition to get in line just to be one of the first people to buy and own this. Because the thinking was, if I could just have this, I'll be happy. If I could have the, the newest one, the, the, right, now you could take this to like any single high school around here and try to give it to like a teenager and they're like, no thanks. <laughs> right? How quickly it goes from people waiting in line, camping, dropping hundreds of dollars on it to didn't fulfill I need the bigger, I need the newer, I need the best, I need, I need, I need, I want, I want, I want. I will be fulfilled if I can have. But then the second we have it, within like two days, we're like, man, this is a lot like the last one. <laughs> right? At least this one still has a button. <laughs> the truth is this. That's the case. It's a result, is a relentless, constant deeply exhausting pursuit. And the result is this. The pursuit of more will never give up, uh, give up its pursuit of your heart and it will secondly never satisfy. Some of you here today are exhausted because you have pursued and pursued and pursued and you thought if I could just have that and it's left you unfulfilled. Jesus says this about the meek and the humble. God blesses 
those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Meekness is something that's grown. D.A. Carson says it this way, meekness is a controlled desire. Notice that, a controlled desire to see the other's interest advance ahead of our own. That sentence, our culture does not like. Wait, I need to control my desire to see somebody else's interest as more important than mine? No thanks. Our culture flat-outly rejects that. And yet, interestingly enough, when we live that way, we reflect Jesus. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with one another, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Do you see those nine different values? Those nine different values perfectly describe humility, and it also purposely describes the opposite of what our culture says. You must have the same attitude of that of Christ Jesus. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took on the humble position of a slave and was born of a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. What was the result? Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue should declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Meekness is a care for others. Our culture says the world revolves around you. Jesus says the culture of the kingdom is meekness. It's care and concern for others. Genuine care and concern for them that's based on them and not what you can get out of them or what they can do for you. Two great examples of this. Actually, I'll give you three. All of them shepherds. The good shepherd, Jesus. The shepherd Moses, the shepherd David. Before God called them to lead, he placed them into the role of shepherd to, to watch after sheep. Do you realize that sheep are some of like the dumbest animals in the world? They're like, ooh, look at that wolf. Let's go play. <laughs> <You know? laughs> There's a cliff. I wonder what will happen if I just keep walking. Right? God in, like, placed Moses and David to care for some of the most obstinate sheep animals so that whenever they had to work with other humans, they would have meekness and humility inside their heart. Some of you are like, every week I go to work with sheep. <laughs> and some of you, you're the sheep. Um, you know, it's, I mean, I, I'm the sheep. You know, that's the way it is sometimes. Like we, but what I love about this is that you find in Moses and you find in King David and you find in King Jesus is it was a concern and care for others. It was a passion to see their interests, to care for them, to love them. Like the David, David would sing to his sheep. He, he most likely knew them by name. I love this story. Right? Like, this blows my mind because I've watched a lot of lion attack videos. Okay, um, 
And what I know is this, you don't mess with a lion. David's like, there was a time, he tells King Saul, that this lion came and grabbed a hold of one of these sheep and like drug it away, and I noticed that it happened. I chased that mug down, and I grabbed it by the mane, and I clubbed it to death. Listen to me. <laughs> I love my dog. <laughs> Some of you are going to think I'm a terrible person. <laughs> but if a lion comes after my dog, it was like, honey... It was a nice run. <laughs> now, if it's one of my kids, I'm going after it. You know, but I'm like, you know, but like David went after that, and like this, he had such care and concern for that sheep. Like he rescued it from the mouth of a lion. That's care and concern for others at the expense of his life. John Maxwell, I think, is another great example of this. He talks about a shift in his leadership perspective, and it came from where he quit just training leaders because they would become a great resource to his company to he saw their God-stamped identity and image, and he wanted to help bring that out. And it didn't matter where they go, if they went to another company or where, he wanted to be a part of seeing them elevated to their greatest potential. That's humility. That's when I'm loving you and I'm caring for you, not because of what I can get out of you or what you can do for me, but it's a care and concern for others. That's what this is talking about. How many of you know our world would be transformed if we lived like that? But secondly, meekness is contentment. Our culture says to us, pursue more at all costs, and you will not be happy until you have more. But meekness has found the beauty of contentment. Contentment has learned that people and things and pursuit and even pleasure have no ability to fulfill or sustain our soul. They can bring temporary happiness. I'm not telling you that they're not going to bring you happiness, but those things have no strength to support the weight of your life or your identity. You can pursue it with every ounce, but I promise you, the second you get it, it will turn around and it'll come back to bite you because you will realize the very thing I thought it would fulfill, it didn't. And here's why. You will never, ever be able to own something that owns you. If you have to be happy and you cannot be happy without it, it owns you you. It has come and it is trying to take the place of God. See, there's, there's a problem with this, is if we feel like we have to own it in order for us to truly be happy, then it, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, our weight is going to crush around it. Listen, there, there's some blessings in regards to meekness, and I'm going to give you three. Freedom, revitalized relationships, and contentment. Whenever we find true meekness and humility, when we live that kingdom value out, we are truly free. We are free to love someone for who they are, not what they can do for me. I'm no longer bound by just constantly using people. Instead, I'm investing into people. I'm free from that constant pursuit. Second thing, it, it creates naturally revitalized relationships. Listen, the more I love my wife, the more I live to serve her, to care for her needs, to watch out for her, to do everything I can to invest in her, to bring out what God has in her, listen to me, it revitalizes and infuses my marriage. 
My marriage will grow in leaps and bounds the more humble I am. But the more I live in that relationship to take, what am I doing? I am hands down destroying the thing that I think I love. If I live for the sake of me in the context of my marriage, I'm going to destroy it. The truth is, is that I, when we live as humble to our friends, to our neighbors, to the people we're in context to, it brings about revitalized relationships, and then it also brings contentment. This is what I love the message, how it describes it. It says, you are blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of Everything that cannot be bought. You know who perfectly described this and revealed this? The Apostle Paul. In the most out of quote, the most quoted out of context verses, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Like we've taken that verse and we've ran with it with places it was never intended to go. We're like, climb Everest. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Really? No, you're gonna die on Everest. Listen, <laughs> I'm, I am out of shape, <laughs> right? If I, if I go to the base of Everest and I'm like, I can do all, like, I'm getting like a fourth of the way up and then you're seeing my body frozen to the mountain, right? You're gonna come for your pastor and I'm going to be dead, right? I'm gonna get like halfway up and just be like, I totally overthought this, you know, like out of shape, winded, like cannot do it because that's not what that verse is talking about. What Paul says in that verse is, I've learned to be content in every situation. I've had lots, I've had little. I've been clothed, I've been destitute and almost naked. I've been living free, they've thrown me in shackles, put me in prison, they've beaten me with rods, they tried to stone me. He goes, you know what? Doesn't matter, I'm content. Do you realize the beauty of that statement? Listen to me. This is what Jesus is saying. When we are humble and we are content, when our greatest soul longing is Christ alone, please hear the beauty of this promise. Nothing can be taken from you. You cannot rob my joy. It's impossible. You take my house, cool, I have Jesus. You take my kids, I have Jesus. He'll strengthen me. You throw me on a boat and I get shipwrecked, I have Jesus. He'll strengthen me. You beat me with rods, I have Jesus. He'll be with me. You cannot rob me of my joy. It's not found in something that you can tangibly remove from my life and now my joy is gone because you cannot take Jesus. I love that. That's what I love about the Apostle Paul. They tried everything. They're like, oh, cool. We're gonna strap you next to a Roman guard and chain you together. Paul's like, <laughs> guess who gets to hear about Jesus for three days straight, right? <laughs> can you imagine this poor schmuck? They chain him to him and he's like, undivided attention, <laughs> He's like, come a little bit closer, my friend, <laughs> right? Didn't matter. Everywhere he went, he's like, it's an opportunity because he was content. Some of you are so exhausted from chasing after things. Your heart is so longing for contentment. It can only be found in Christ alone. Listen, there's a link here. The two Beatitudes we're going to talk about today, they're linked. We're moving from a realization that we have tried to find our soul longing in things 
to a shift in where we should find it. Do you realize our culture is hangry? Our culture is hangry. If you don't know what hangry is, hangry is a mix of the word hungry and angry together. And some of you are perfect examples of it. <laughs> I'm not going to point at you. So, okay, so we even had a couple hands go up. All right, I wasn't asking for that, but I mean, I'm, pr- I'm proud of you for owning it, <laughs> right? Listen, there is a big difference whenever you move from that point of like hangry and then suddenly get someone gives you some chicken nuggets and you're a wholly different person right? It's like completely different, right? But what I want you to see is this, is that the word hangry means to be angered because our hunger has not been satisfied. To be angered because our hunger has not been satisfied. Our culture is spiritually hangry. Relationships, pleasure, joy, peace, love, fulfillment. Our culture has told us that all those things can be found apart from Christ, But what happens when they don't satisfy? We get angry and more angry. Desperately soul hungry, trying to find satisfaction. Do you want to know why there's so much anxiety, depression, and restlessness that's going on in our culture? You know why we are living in the most medicated generation ever in human history? Listen, every stat, I'm not talking about Christian stats. I'm not talking, I'm saying you go and look at any single survey at all right now. We live in the most anxious, completely emotionally jacked up times in all of human history. It's because we are searching hungry, desperate, thirsty for something that's real, but trying to find it in trinkets. Our culture has said, Hey, if you'll just look within yourself, you can find yourself. Can I tell you something? You looking within you is not going to help you. You've tried it. How's that working for you? I can tell you this, Josh Johnson, looking within Josh Johnson is not a good place. The result actually is trauma. A perfect example of this would be the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial we see going on right now. I read a Facebook article that I thought was pretty profound about what we're seeing played out before all of our eyes. If you haven't been following it, it's a pretty interesting trial. In it, this article, the the wife was talking about her husband and her were having a conversation about it, and he jokingly mentioned, he's like, man, (laughs) it's kind of weird that she like, um, I don't know if you know this, I don't want me to be crass, but it's just the truth. She pooped on the bed. And she goes, how weird is it that's the case? And the wife responded in a pretty profound way. She said, It's sad because how both of them are living out their own culture of trauma. Watch this with me. She says, both of them grew up in a place where love had been replaced with chaos and trauma. And in doing so, the most real thing came in, if I can recreate that environment, it feels like love. Can I tell you, we all know people like that. In fact, we even see it within ourselves. Where... We have replaced the truth of love and pleasure with something that's chaos and we keep returning to it even though we know it wounds and harms and damages us, but it's the only thing that even remotely feels like we think the real thing is. Our culture is spiritually soul hangry. Are you aware your soul is hungry and thirsty? If we go back to thinking about meekness, our lack of contentment stems 
from trying to fill the spiritual with the physical. Trying to fill the spiritual with the physical. If I could just have blank, I would really be happy. But you were made for eternity. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is I was made for another world. Or listen to how John Piper says this. Are you aware of the hunger of your soul? He says, many of you here this morning are like this. Your soul is hungry and your heart is thirsty. You feel an insatiable longing for something. You're restless. Almost everywhere you turn, the grass is greener than where you currently stand. And the great tragedy for some of you is that even though this is the Spirit of God who's beckoning you to himself, you turn away again and again to short-run, temporary, backfiring pleasures. Everything turns to ashes in your hands The thrill of lust leaves the sediment of guilt and loneliness. That describes so many of our lives when we are searching for what's real and what's broken. So the question we have then is, what are you seeking? Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this. So don't worry about these things saying, what will you eat or what will you drink, what will you wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. Do you realize the order there? Seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness, and he'll give you everything you need. You know why it's in that order? When we get them flipped we mistake the blessing as the ultimate when it's really the blesser. And we try to turn the blessing into God and it makes a terrible idol. What are you seeking? Seek first the kingdom of God because you will not even be able to enjoy. Listen, please hear me today. I am not saying that God like... God is not in heaven going like, I really hope their lives are terrible and that nothing enjoyable ever happens. Okay? (laughs) That is not God. He is a good father. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. Every blessing you have ever received has come from the King of Kings. But hear me out. You cannot fully enjoy the blessing until you are satisfied fully in the blesser. You cannot enjoy the blessing until you are satisfied fully in the blesser. Listen to what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He says, I do not know of a better test that anyone can apply to himself or herself in this whole matter of the Christian profession than a verse like this. If this verse is one of the most blessed statements of the whole scripture, you can be quite certain you are a Christian. If not then you had better examine the foundations again. Hunger and thirst is a pattern of life and conformity to God's will. This is not about religious action for the purpose of Jesus. This is not about, I showed up to church on Sunday, I read my Bible three chapters this morning, I prayed exactly five minutes and 23 seconds. (laughs) This is not about duty. It's about delight. No one in this room would want anyone to love them out of duty. No one wants your son, your daughter, 
your spouse, someone that you care about, your best friend, to be like, well, I'm here today to talk to you because I have to. (laughs) No, you want them there because they delight in your presence. That's what Jesus wants. Living righteously is only possible with a full understanding of the gospel. As I realize I am forgiven, I've been made right with God, my sins are pardoned, I've been set free from sin, the result is therefore I am now someone that I want to live for and I want to matter. How I live, I want it to matter. I want it to reflect Christ. The gospel sets us free from the law as a means of salvation. But in doing so after salvation, God returns us to the law as a means of sanctification and delight. Because as I look at the law and I see the heart of God revealed through it, my heart bursts with joy and my words resound with King David. It's like honey on my lips. It has no ability to save me at all. But it's now a way I can display the king to the world. This is the litmus test. You cannot be a Christian. You cannot be a son or daughter of the king if you do not desire to do the will of God. If you don't believe me, listen to the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter seven. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply to them, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. See, the truth is this, is that Jesus is revealing in the scripture, like, it's not about duty. It's about delight. I didn't even know you. I didn't have a relationship with you. I wasn't the greatest pursuit and heart of your desires. What I love about this, though, is that what Jesus promises for those who hunger and thirst for God, it's what you've always been longing for, satisfaction. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. I want you to think back to the last time you were desperately hungry and thirsty. For me, it was a soccer drill in high school. Our coaches, we had made a colossal mistake. We left the room dirty and a bunch of other stuff, and so it turned into like the drill of all drills, and we were running for like 45 minutes straight, like two kids passed out. It was insane. I have never longed for water so deeply in my life. When they finally paused the drill and said, all right, kids, go get some water, um, We could have practically killed each other to get to the water first. It was desperate, like I had to have it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for for justice, for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Our culture has no concept of satisfaction. Pursue, pursue, pursue. Get more, get more, get more. Think of yourself first. The world revolves around you. If you'll just keep fighting, pursuing to get what you want, if you'll use people to get what you want, if you'll buy more things to get what you want, you'll be satisfied. But the truth is, is we've been to the end of that road, every single one of us. Do you realize that we are the most blessed nation in almost all of history? 
They did a study not even that many years ago, and they found like the average wage like per day that workers make across the world, it was like four to six dollars total for the day, not per hour, for the day. I've been on mountaintop in Honduras where we were building a home for a family. The night before they delivered the wood, and wood is such a commodity that the mother and her five children slept outside on a Honduran mountain to guard the wood with hammers in their hand to protect it so that no one could steal the supplies for their home. The next day, we built them a 16 by 16 house. (laughs) It had one door, one window, no stove, no running water, no toilet, no living room, No, nothing. It was just a floor, a window, and a door. And you would have thought we just handed her the keys to the Taj Mahal. We are rich beyond measure. And yet we're convinced we don't have enough. I'll never forget playing soccer. It was one of the most weird moments of my entire life. We're out there playing with a bunch of people on the soccer field of that same country. It was in El Salvador, sorry. Out of nowhere, some local kids come running up. They're like five, six, seven, eight, somewhere in that range. And they're like, hey, can we play soccer? Yeah, and they go, can we bring our friends too? We're like, yeah. Three of their friends come running up and they're completely naked. Okay? Because they had one total pair of clothes and it was currently being washed and they didn't want to miss out on the fun. I have never played soccer with a naked person before, but I did that day. It was very weird. But what I can tell you is this, is that as I looked at those kids' faces and the smile on their faces, they had absolutely nothing, but they had a contentment that 90% of people in our society don't have. They had one change of clothes and they had found happiness. We've got five closets full of clothes and we won't be happy till we get that next outfit that'll make us feel better. See, the truth is this. God blesses those who hunger and thirst, who get it right. The kingdom of heaven first. They will be satisfied. Unlike the satisfaction of materialism, this is soul satisfaction. Contentment that's found in humility is only possible when our deepest longings have been satisfied in Christ. Now listen to the words of Paul. Philippians chapter 3. I once thought these things are valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Okay? We're going to come back to that in just one second. Philippians chapter 4. For I praise the Lord who's concerned about me again. I know that you've always been concerned for me, but you don't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need. For I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or an empty one, with plenty or with little. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you've done well to share with me. Listen to me. Can we go back to the previous verse? Sorry. All right, I want you to see this. Paul's citing all of his religious decrees and resumes. And he, before this, he's like, I'm a Jew of Jew. I'm of Hebrew. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Everything that you could possibly be to be the really good little Jewish boy, I did all those things spiritually. I had every checklist marked. I had, I, if you put my resume up against anybody spiritually, he's like, I've got you beat. And then he says this, but all of that, 
it's worthless for the sake of knowing Christ. And then he goes, it's not just worthless, it's garbage. That, ver- that word there, garbage, translators struggle with it. It's the Greek word skubalon. And the Greek word skubalon is a derogatory Greek word for human excrement. You can see why they're struggling translating this. Other versions, in fact, older versions, they, they say dung or rubbish. It's that which gets flushed down the toilet. He goes, all of that that I once thought was so important is worthy of being flushed down the toilet for knowing Jesus, my Savior. Knowing him is everything. Because my hunger, my thirst is for Christ alone. I want to know him. Contentment in Paul, listen to me. Nothing could be taken from him. This is what your soul has been longing for. It's longing for that place where nothing in this world can rob you of your joy. Not what someone does to you, not what someone takes from you, not from something that happens to you, that it can not be robbed from you because it's in Christ alone. Do you find that longing in you? Maybe today, are you tired and exhausted? Are you tired of working and striving to get? And then when you finally get the fill in the blank, you realize how empty it's in and then it's a constant cycle. I need that, I need that. If I get it, I'll be happy. Oh, that didn't fulfill. Let me look around, let me look around. Oh, they have something I want. So if I could just have that, then I'll do it. I go for it. Try, 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 try. I finally get it. It didn't fulfill. Oh, let me look around again. Oh, they have something. They look happy. Let me look on social media. Scroll through. Oh, smiling faces. They seem to be happy with what they have, right? But what are we doing? We're posting like our absolute best moments. No one has that steak every Thursday night. (laughs) But we're comparing it. And we think if we could just have it. If I could just have it. Let me show you what that does. I want to show you comparison, materialism versus God's will. We follow what our culture says for fulfillment. The reality is, is we get buyer's remorse. We get regret. It results in debt, bondage, and slavery. We become enslaved by the things that we own. And the ultimate end is every single time we are unfulfilled and we're even more exhausted than before because we worked so hard to get it and it didn't fulfill. What about God? (laughs) As I taste and see his goodness, it fills me with joy and excitement. It frees me. I no longer relate to you based off of what I can get out of you. I'm like, God, I see such beautiful things in them. Will you help me bring it out? God, I want to see their kingdom grow in their life. I want to see them be used for you, God. I want to see the best come out of them. It frees me. It gives me liberty to react to every person I come into contact with based on the beauty of who God made them to be. And it makes freedom. I'm no longer bound. My things don't own me. Oh, cool. You want to steal something? Like, I've got... I leave my car unlocked all the time. I probably shouldn't say that with this on the web, but I, mean, I do it all the time and people are like, oh my gosh, what if someone would steal it? It's a thing. You can take anything of mine. You cannot rob me of my joy. It's in Christ alone. Absolutely nothing in this world. 
freedom that you cannot describe in any other manner, and then satisfaction. Listen to me. I honestly want to ask you a question. Have you ever truly been fulfilled by stuff? Any of you ever gotten the iPhone 4 and really been fulfilled? I mean, being, I'm being dead serious. Can you really point to me to one thing you have ever gotten that afterwards you're like, ah, finally, this is it. I'm happy here. But in God, we have a king who loves us so greatly, who pours his life into us, and we find satisfaction. Let me close with this. Some of you are like, thank the Lord. Um, <clears throat> finally, it's a call to move. We need to avoid a very important pitfall. The answer to all of this is not turning into a nun or a monk. It's not like I need to hunger and thirst for righteousness, so I need to just get away from everybody and just me and Jesus alone in the hills. I don't want to be influenced by anybody. I don't want to like, I just need to just pull away from society and everyone to follow after Christ, just me and him, because that's, listen to me, let me prove to you that that's not the case. Do you, next, do you see what's happening next in the Beatitudes? What Jesus is going to bring us to next is, oh, blessed are the merciful, Blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, and blessed are those who are persecuted. How can you be any of those if it's you by yourself? How am I going to show the people who need mercy, mercy so they can see the kingdom? How am I going to create peace amidst the chaos of our world if I've pulled away from it? Secondly, let me provide you the second proof. Jesus' ministry was right there in the midst of the dirt and the grime. If I understand what it is to follow after the heart of my king, I live like my king. His ministry of reconciliation is now handed off to each one of us. We are to be in this world, not of this world. The world needs to see the light shining through our lives. It's a call to move. To truly hunger and thirst for righteousness is to have a desire for our lives to do kingdom work in the world. Would you stand with me? This morning, we're going to bring the lights down. I just have a few questions as we bring us to a close, and Grady's going to lead us in a song. He's going to lead us in the song, Draw Me Close to You. It's an old song, but a great one. Draw me close to you, never let me go. I lay it all down again just to hear you say that you're my friend. You are my desire, nothing else will do. Those are some beautiful gospel words saying, I want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. But here's my question for you. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. This is just for every single one of us to look inwardly. But I pray that in this moment, the Holy Spirit would be wrestling with you. If you look inwardly at your heart, is there the belief that the world is intended to revolve around you? Or if you look inwardly, do you find in yourself an insatiable desire to have more and more things, to pursue things, hoping and pleading somehow it's going to fulfill and satisfy? Do your possessions own you? Is the fulfillment of your soul longing 
tied to what you have or can have. If that's the case, can I plead with you this morning? Would you go to your king and go, God, I want you. Lord, I repent. I repent of trying to find my happiness and fulfillment in something other than you. Help me to seek you first because I know that if I will do that, everything else that I truly need, you promise to provide. Today, are you hangry at the soul level? Are you anxious, tired, angry, exhausted, frustrated, quick to anger because you keep finding that the world and others don't want to revolve around you? And even though you've worked so hard, every time you try to find fulfillment, it slips through your hands. If that's so, can you please run to the Father today? Maybe right now, Maybe God has sparked something in you just as you've been hearing my words this morning and you hear the promise on the table of satisfaction and there's a part of your soul that beats a little bit faster. And you go, God, I've been wanting that for so long. I feel so exhausted. God, I want to be satisfied. Maybe God has sparked a fire in you. And as you hear the call, to be hungry and thirsty for him, there's an excitement welling in your soul. And you desire to be a part of his will in this world to allow him to fill you so that you can pour out to others. If that's you today, can I plead with you too to just go before the king and go, God, I'm hungry. Will you help my hunger to grow even more? Holy Spirit, I pray for every person in this room. Lord, for those who have found themselves at the end, Lord, they're at a place of total spiritual exhaustion and they are just at a spot where, God, they have tried and tried and tried. They have tried it in people. They've tried it in relationships. They've tried it in buying things. They've tried it in doing things. They've tried it in every avenue that the world has said, if you will just have this, it'll fulfill. And they have found themselves hopelessly empty. Father, I pray that today that they would run to your presence and say, God, I need you. And Lord, would you make your word come alive once again? And would you bring satisfaction to their soul? Lord, as we sing this song, I pray that you would do a work in all of our hearts. Lord, would you draw us close to you that we would have a hunger and thirst for more of you.